Hey, and welcome back to the Remote Lab podcast. I'm Anna, and today I have Maria with me in the studio. We're so excited to start season two of this show, and we have some great guests lined up. But first, we'd like to start off with just recapping the summer. We had some time off to recharge and reflect, and it's kind of like what we talked about with Lisette in the last episode. It's so useful to really reflect on your own little weird practices and habits. I mean, we all have them, and it's a way to get to know yourself a little bit better, which will in turn help your team get to know you a little bit better. I mean, for instance, I learned this summer that there are bookstores in this world that will serve you coffee while you browse the shelves. I mean, that to me is just pure heaven. I mean, I, I just want to go there all the time now. So how about you, Maria? What's something you learned about yourself this summer? Well, uh, I might be superficial, but I didn't learn. <laughs> well, I learned a lot about myself. But one thing that I did learn is that Italian card decks, they obviously do not have 52 cards. What? And neither do they have spades, hearts, diamonds, or clubs. And you really have to be super creative to play with them. Wow. <laughs> so that's one thing that I definitely learned. That's interesting. I mean, how do you even play poker with that? Well, you don't. You <laughs> do with different rules. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, that's really interesting. I have to dig into that. Why is that? If anybody knows who's listening to the show, please get in touch with us because this is itching our brains now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I really need the, the answer to this one. <laughs> that's really cool. So Italy, huh? Why were you in Italy? Well, yeah, that's a part of today's uh, subject of the episode as well. We have had a vacational summer, of course, but we also did a lot of adventures within uh, the future of remote work and uh, co-working. And one thing that I did was that I participated in the summer school of workplace management offered by Politecnico Milano in Lake Como in Italy. And that was as a part of the research network Cost Action, uh, the new working spaces and the impact on the periphery that we are a part of. And we, I was not by myself, of course. I was accompanied by researchers from Europe, but also from Brazil, Israel, United Arab Emirates, uh, Lebanon, etc., etc. It was a huge number of really qualified researchers with interesting topics and the sessions and the professor that held them was just excellent. So I thought that I'd just uh, dig into three of the topics that were highlighted during this very, very intense weeks or week. Uh, it was just the one week, but yeah, it felt it was, like a several. <laughs> exactly. We started off like eight, nine in the morning and was like doing the whole day without any breaks at all. They don't do breaks in Italy. <laughs> oh, obviously really? not. No. no oh, wow. That's um, interesting. Yeah, until like 8 in the evening or so. Yeah. So it was super intense and super beautiful view and location was just amazing and the people were just amazing as well. So one of the professors that joined in and had a session was Professor Ying Hua from Human Centered Design at Cornell University. And she talked a lot about how we move the workplace from platform to co-creation. So when we design a workplace, we tend to emphasize on utility, 
But it takes more than that to head towards co-creation, according to Hua. Hmm. And she talks about that we need to create bas. So what is a ba? A ba? Just like B-A? B-A, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So ba is a concept by the Japanese philosopher Kitaro Nishida that describes uh, the four physical and mental spaces that we need to have in order to move from socialization between two people like we are doing now, right. to actually learn and internalize other people's knowledge. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like that space where we really connect, but I also take something away from our discussion and our meeting. Oh, right. So you both can, like, we connect at a certain plane um, to share, be open to share ideas with each other. Yeah. Ah, okay. But that also moves in different uh, phases. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she described, or Kitaro Nishida, he describes this as the four spaces. And we need to have all of these different four ones to be able to actually uh, have a meaningful and a learning environment. And when we have fulfilled these spaces, we also need to become value enablers, which then includes flexibility, community building, sharing economy, sustainability in all dimensions, etc. etc. Et so what she really, really talked about is how we move from a specific workplace as a entity to a workplace filled with value and learning and content. Oh, wow. So it's really like taking the workplace out of the furniture and putting it into the spaces between people. Is that is that a way to describe it? Exactly. And the bar is the place where actually the physical space meets the mental space and where ah. these ones interact to basically provide the opportunity for me to learn from you. Ah, that's really interesting. It is. It's oh, super wow. interesting. Oh, wow. Uh, so we've been working with this for years, of course. But right. it's like putting words into it and having a philosophy around it. Just it, like it blows my mind. I, I just love these moments when you can like someone actually thought a lot about this i know oh, I <laughs> it's get, so cool yeah it's really cool it's like oh that's why it works uh-huh exactly. that's what happens yeah oh that's amazing yeah and you really need a philosopher to figure this out sure yeah. somebody needs to be paid to do this exactly <laughs> we're not <laughs> <No>. <laughs> exactly uh, so that's one of the big things that I took away from this part. And yeah, follow Professor Ying Hua. She is uh, super, uh, yeah, she's just uh, amazing. And the work she's been doing at Cornell is uh, very interesting. So and the second part was Professor David Schaumann from Israel Institute of Technology. And what he's doing, he's basically leading the Intelligent Place lab Laboratory, where they make simulation of flows in buildings in order to basically help organizations to optimize the location of key functions. So he gave examples of, for instance, hospitals, where you place the waiting room and where you actually place the rooms where the doctors are, uh, which basically could decrease waiting time, but also save lives, depending oh, on wow. where you put different things in a building Ooh. and how the flow are or flows are. Uh, 
Uh, it's super important and very interesting when you actually can simulate these, these things. And there are so many old truths that just have been punctured by these simulations because it's not what the eye obviously think it is. Ah, uh, right. So it's, it's really like design coming out of practice. Like you really have to use the spaces to know how you need to move through them most efficiently. And that's not maybe something you can think up at the drawing board, not having a background in that sort of profession. No. Is that right? Exactly. And they use a lot of technology, obviously, like sensors, but also artificial intelligence and stuff like that to figure these simulations out, which yeah, is super interesting as well, the work that they do. Uh, the last and third thing that I wanted to bring up from this week is uh, Professor Ugi Stankov at Novi Sad in Serbia. He's also a professor within tourism. Um, and what he brought up specifically was the increasing need of mental be- well-being for, for instance, digital nomads, but also for tourists. And also the... Wait, wait, wait. Mental well-being for tourists? Yeah. It's like being on vacation is not good enough? Or No, it's not good enough. <laughs> oh, obviously. wow. Interesting. People really need to re- or disconnect. Hmm. Because the digital well-being or lack of digital well-being, like you are always stuck on your oh, phone, right. scrolling away yes. the entire time. Mm-hmm. You really need to basically contribute as a service provider and take that into account when yep. having tourists because they really need that. Yeah. And they might know it and right. they might not know it. It's true. <laughs> so, for instance, there are a lot of uh, different locations that now offers like off-time or off-grid mm-hmm. uh, solutions for people to just be disconnected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't have to take it like that far. You mm. could also in- include it in your... A specific offer towards tourism or tourists or uh, digital nomads or uh, as we do towards our co-working community right so kind of normalizing the detox bit yeah cool exactly but also yeah he talked a lot about mindfulness that and he mentioned that as a one solution and he's been writing a lot of books about tourism and, and well-being and also specifically towards mindfulness hmm. Uh, But looking on our own community and the community that we run um, or the communities that we run, uh, we've been working in another way, uh, which was, yeah, it made me think a lot about how we provide different analog activities towards our community and how that will be increasingly important, Mm. like offering a wide variety of activities that suits basically everyone in some way uh, what we do are things like well we go running and we play music and we go co-biting and we paint and we talk right and yeah um, we offer different things basically in order for people to put down their phones or get away from their screen right. and do something with their body mm. and also how we try to uh, include that, like how we move, for instance, in the locations that we have, that we offer other ways of moving. Moving. We have the monkey bar and the roof, so you can basically climb your way uh, down and not take the stairs or 
yeah, things like that. Uh, but I think that that is something that will be increasingly important and that he also highlighted in his talk. Mm. So something that we have been kind of building and incorporating instinctively, really we can put into a more deliberate practice. Um, is that what you're saying? Yeah, but also basically take it more seriously. Right, right, right. It's not just for fun. No. It's it's basically for the mental well-being of our com- community. That's true. That's true. And he also talked a lot about how technology can help us with the digital well-being as well. There are a lot of a number of apps for instance to to help us with that. Yeah. Uh, but I think that offering analog activities is really something that we should continue focusing on and also taking more seriously mm. and that every every workplace should offer right it's not a nice to have it's a need to have yeah definitely a mm. need to have mm. wow that's really fascinating wow you learned a lot yeah i did and these are just three like three things that i had to choose from this whole week it was amazing uh, yeah I really liked it but but you went to Scotland <laughs> I That's did like another part of Europe and <laughs> there's a lot of like yeah it's a different landscape but it's also a completely different context that you mm. were in Yes. What did you do in Scotland? Well, what did I do indeed? Well, um, it is a different context. Uh, I was invited to the 17th MARG conference that was held in Inverness in Scotland to present the paper that we've written together with Professor Hans Westland. Uh, and it's about, we talked about in the podcast earlier last season, um, how about how co-working spaces in regional centers work as landing spaces when established companies set themselves up in new cities or regions and how this phenomenon might be a part of revitalizing rural areas. So we were invited to talk about that, basically. And MARG stands for Marginal Areas Research Group, and it's organized by the University of Kyoto as part of their Asian Inclusive Smart Cities Initiative. Uh, So the theme of the conference itself was social capital and development trends of countryside and knowledge society, which is a long way to say that we need to work more with areas outside um, large cities when it comes to knowledge work, uh, because this is something that has been overseen uh, or just like slighted in in a way um, in, in the past decade. So that's really interesting. Um, and the thing that I took away from it was that most of the researchers were coming out of Japan or South Korea and to hear their challenges with their countrysides and how they are like asking different questions and doing research to answer these questions with diminishing populations and everything. Um, a lot of them are the same that, that we're struggling with in, in Sweden, for instance, or in other European countries, which is super interesting that you have your aging population or you have your loss of knowledge workers or you have your young people or the, the, some part of the demographic moving to other places and you try to stop that flow somehow. Um, and it's really fascinating to see that, okay, so this is a global thing and how can we work together and, and find smart things to stop it? Uh, well, not stop it, just kind of adjust to it. Um, I mean, for instance, we some of them talked about how to use like 
old agricultural knowledge to preserve that by inviting young people to come join a microbrewery, for instance, or other activities in the countryside to make that attractive and to find some community within that and, and really both use the knowledge that has been evolved over centuries in some cases and to also create a meeting point, a focal point for younger people to meet, which was really amazing. Um, we also had Professor Demura um, from Gifu University, and he started a lab. It's very much like a co-working space. He had this empty space uh, in Kyoto as well, I think, um, and invited people through Facebook to come and build a, an office space with him, basically. And people show up, showed up, and th they created something, and then he mapped out the social contacts between these people who participated in building and also then coming to the co-working space or the lab in this instance. Uh, and he could just show these beautiful maps of how the network of people changes over time with and like both with and without the physical space. Uh, that they started out there, they met each other there, and then like new little networks and new little nodes of engagement and people getting to know each other kind of flowers out from that, which is super interesting, uh, which kind of... Is that the boss? <laughs> no, that's not the boss. <laughs> this was um, this is one of the acolytes, maybe, <laughs> I'd say. Uh, it was really fascinating to see, like, how we could, because we see that a lot in our spaces, that people get to know each other and they start a project or they start, you know, different things, initiatives going on. And, and we see that happening all the time. But to see somebody map that out so, so carefully really inspired me that we could do something like that as well. And I mean, to do that on a national level in Sweden would be amazing just to see like how co-working spaces facilitate local networks in different towns, which is really interesting. The method around that is super interesting. Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> it's very complicated. Super complicated. Well, yeah. people are like complex. So yes. Yeah. It's, it needs to be some kind of yeah, method he, that can handle that. Exactly. I mean, uh, Professor Demer did it in a, in a quite, well, not simple way, but he used as a basis, like a data input, he used um, uh, just the number of times people had met and how, for how long they had met. Uh, to measure the intensity of the connection. So, I mean, and, and time could mean something, but it could also mean nothing. Mm. Uh, so it's it's hard to find the right variables to really do that. But he had this beautiful mathematical expression that he put it in, which really just astounded me because I'm not really a math person myself. Like data that was super qualitative to me, uh, he put in a quantitative framework and made it work, which mm. was also very interesting to see. Uh, so that was really um, inspiring. And I think the last thing that I took away from it was uh, Professor Kobayashi. That's the, that's the boss guy, Professor Kobayashi from University of Kyoto. What's uh, with the Japanese guys? Like they, are so, like they already have this in their culture. They just I need know. to put it out there I in know. some way for the rest of us to kind of notice it. Exactly. I, I think that's the key point. We need to notice it yeah. and we need to listen. Yeah. And, and that was really obvious also in this conference uh, where um, representatives from Western Europe were the minor minority, which really opened up a whole different conversation because we're so so versed in a certain way of think thinking in the Western world and it really closes a lot of doors. 
So when we sit down and listen to something that's bigger than ourselves, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. Uh, so I think we can learn a lot from that, which is really interesting. Uh, and he was talking about, um, <laughs> Professor Kobayashi is one of the founders of this network. Uh, and he goes way back with Professor Hans that we work with. Uh, so they are like the, the big Han shows in this network, which is a lot of fun as well, because they, they play off each other and they, you know, they jab at each other. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and he talked about how new technology and AI will, you know, inevitably change the world and change how we live for better or worse. Uh, but a thing he said um, in reference to how AI is affecting the job market is that, well, AI, AI is going to take some jobs and create others. We're all, you know, in unison with that. We're, we're all in agreement with that. Um, but he framed it in a way that I found really insightful that he said, well, AI can always provide like the big general solutions to advertising, to marketing campaigns, to management solutions, to technology solutions in some respects. But let's use AI as a baseline to measure creativity against because AI, as far as we know <laughs> today, can't be creative in the same way a person can. So let's use AI to do the basic, basic stuff. And then let's use humans to be creative. So uh, he made a case for like the, the general uh, solution kind of losing its value. But at the same time, the hyper-local, tailored, specialized solution to a certain problem will therefore increase in value. Uh, and to my mind, coming from, from, from where I come from, um, to think about co-working spaces in this context, it really dawned on me that co-working spaces could be that hyper-local solution to a very local market demand, really. Uh, you have workers that need a certain space to work within and they need a network and they need, you know, fun activities that are analog, for instance, or they need to do other things, which is just really interesting. So how can then co-working spaces serve their immediate community um, instead of thinking of, oh, we need a, you know, a general solution that covers the entire country. Maybe we need a lot of different solutions that are just hyper-local. It also ties into the research that we read about this summer, which also suggested that uh, co-working spaces that have the owners and initiators uh, involved in the management, everyday management, are more successful in building communities mm. than other. Yes, exactly right, which is also super, super interesting. So, yeah, it was a, a good summer of learning, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really good. And it's not, it's like continuing. I know. So, yeah, so we have a, like, I mean, as you can hear, we have a lot of interesting ideas to dig into as we move into season two and I'm just super excited to be back at work how about you yeah me too and I'm so much looking forward to all these interesting conversations that we will have going forward for sure yeah all right all right see you in a couple of weeks see you